All right, well, uh, that little thing I usually wear over my ear isn't working either. So I'm expecting some really big things from the Lord this morning, right? We're, we're having to depend on him for all of this, and I'm really, really grateful. So you sang really well for not having the words in front of you, and uh, thanks for seeing. I think, we, I think we know more of the songs than we think we know. And so it's really, really a good thing. We are continuing in our study of uh, the will of God. We are talking through uh, various uh, scriptures that talk to us specifically about what is the will of God. Today's is actually more of a how do we learn the will of God? How do we discern what it is? What are the, what are the things that are kind of involved in that? And then also uh, what... What is the result of it? And we're wrapping it all under what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Uh, that's a, a really important uh, uh, part of our Christian life, and I think we perhaps don't spend uh, as much time as we should on it. But uh, if you've been around the family a little while, the passage of Scripture we're looking at is Ephesians chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 15 to 21, and there are a lot of really familiar verses in this passage uh, so I really want to take some time to remember what are these things talking about and what is it, uh, what is the, what does walking in the spirit look like? What does that uh, entail and how does that affect our lives? So there's a, a great deal here. So let me begin with another word of prayer. Father, thank you for uh, the scriptures. Thank you for the scriptures sung and the scriptures spoken and for the written word that we have in our hands. Thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you and trust you to, uh, to enliven our hearts and to enlighten our minds. And I pray that that would happen as we open your word this morning and that you would challenge us with the importance of walking in the Spirit. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, first of all, I want to talk about the reason to walk in the Spirit. And this is also going to make you really pay close attention, right? Because if you miss the word, it's not going to be on the screen for you. So I will try and uh, keep track and keep going back to go over them. But uh, the reason for walking in the Spirit is this, usefulness. We want to walk in the Spirit so we can be useful in the hands of God as we live our lives and seek to serve Him. There are three ways we walk that will make that happen, that will allow that to happen, I should say. Let me read verses 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If we want to be useful, we need to walk with care. That's a really useful term to uh, put in our minds to think about how to walk. I, uh, I must be really an awful person, but every once in a while, I, I just like to watch videos of people that are like walking through a mall or walking along a street looking at their phone. Because inevitably, somebody trips and falls into the fountain at the mall, or they stumble over a a curb. Have you ever seen them? Oh my word, they're so funny. Um, which again says probably more about me, but uh, they are so wrapped up in walking along, taking their phone, looking at what they're looking at, that they have no idea that something's coming. And all of a sudden, they're in big trouble because they haven't been careful. 
I haven't done a lot of trout fishing since uh, I moved to Virginia, but uh, I used to trout fish a good bit. And that was another thing that always was on my mind because I'd get my waders on and I'd get in a stream. And you can't, you know, you don't just wander down the stream when you're trout fishing because it's a stream bed and there are rocks and it's slippery. And so you're, you make sure this foot is solid before you join. And it's all very measured and very careful. That's what I think of when I think of this walking with care. Look carefully then how you walk so you don't act foolishly, not as unwise, but as wise. I looked really foolish trout fishing one time, not because I slipped and fell, but because I got under a tree and looked back up over my shoulder and there was a snake up in the tree. Which me and snakes, you know, we're just not fans of each other. We avoid each other. And uh, I got about eight steps further down the stream, though, and I heard a splash behind me. I don't know if it was the snake. I didn't take time to look. <laughs> but, man, did I get to the, to the shore really quickly. And, and then noticed there was another guy there. He said, he's not going to hurt you. I said, he already hurt me just being near me, so I don't want to hear it. But... I looked foolish in how I got out of there. We want to walk in a way that makes us look like we're being careful where we go. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, this is the thing about wisdom. Get wisdom. That's a little redundant, but that's kind of it, right? Whatever you do, it says, get insight. There's almost a sense of desperation when when uh, Solomon is writing to his son saying, listen, if you don't do anything else, get wisdom. Learn to walk with God. Learn to be careful in how you walk. Walk with care. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That's walking with purpose. That's choosing with intention, how you're going to walk. It's called redeeming the time or buying up the opportunities. Or if you're watching an infomercial, act now, right? They're, they want you to quickly make a decision. This is going to, of course, I mean, in their case, it's going to last every time they replay the infomercial. But in the next 23 minutes, if you will order now... You'll get two sets of knives, because everybody needs that. Um, there's, there is this sense of urgency in this, too. There is purposefulness. How are you going to live? How are you going to walk? You've got to act. Get on it. Act now. Make the best use of your time, because time is limited, and the days are evil. We sometimes live as though our time isn't really limited. I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to that. I'll, it'll happen later. Don't worry about it. I'll make it happen. Do it now. That friend that you've been thinking, man, I know I really should talk to them about Christ, take advantage of the opportunity. Start looking for opportunities. That, that relationship that has gone south, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's with one of your kids, maybe it's with another coworker. Get on it. Get it fixed. Take advantage of the opportunity to do it. Acts 17.26 describes how that God 
made all peoples of one man, made all peoples and all nations. He appointed their boundaries, and he appointed the times in which they would live. And he's talking about the eras during which they would function. But for every one of us, we've got a season to live in. Take advantage of every opportunity to do the will of God. So verse 17 says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's walking in obedience, verse 17. Walking in obedience, discerning the will of God, figuring out what is it that God wants me to do here. This is not intended to be a mystery. God does not hide his will from you and send you little clues and put you on a scavenger hunt to figure out what should I do. Mostly, God's will is you get up in the morning, you commune with the Lord, you start walking with God, and what's Proverbs 3 say? As you are walking with God step by step, he will direct your path. That's mostly what God's will is made up of, but it begins with the fear of God. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's really important that we understand this sense of of awe and reverence of God. I was reading in my devotions this morning about the fact that God is invisible to us, that 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 is both a curse because It is because of our sin, and it's also a mercy. Because in our sinfulness, if we looked at God in his glory, it would wipe us out. We wouldn't be able to take it. It's so incredibly important that we have an appropriate fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. You don't get wisdom, really, until you get a fear of the Lord. And then you ask James 1.5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And I think the King James says, upbraideth not. What in the world? When you had little kids, or maybe you do, did they ever come and ask you and pester you with questions over and over? And it was always the same question, right? And after a while, you're like, we have talked about this 13 times Here's the answer. Don't ask again. If you ask me again, we're not going to do it, right? No, I know. None of you would ever do that. God doesn't do that, though. God does not look at me and say, I cannot believe you're back asking for wisdom again. When are you going to figure this out? God does not treat me as though I should feel stupid for asking. It's really incredible to me. If we lack wisdom, we should ask. And we make it our goal to please the Lord. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not a hidden list. It's a measured lifestyle that focuses on the scriptures and learning what's acceptable to God. That's how, that's how Paul described it in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
We discern the will of God by seeking it, by searching after it, by staying close to God, by leaning into Christ, by spending time investing ourselves in in the common graces of being in church faithfully and being in a small group and being in relationships with other people who love Jesus so that we can grow together. We learn to discern what is the will of God. And when we do that on a regular, patterned practice of lifestyle, then when the big things come, should I buy this car or should I buy that car? It's not like we're coming and saying to God, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I really need some wisdom here. We've, we've been in a pattern and a practice and a habit of this, and maybe some of those decisions become less stressful. So, okay, the reason to walk in the Spirit is we want to be useful, right? We walk with care. We walk with purpose. We walk in obedience. Did I get them all? Okay, number two. The practice of walking in the Spirit is really rather simple, and it's in verse 18. It's called surrender. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Number one, don't let other things control you. Now, he uses drunkenness as the example here. Drunkenness results in behavior that shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequences of an action. That sounds really neat and tidy, doesn't it? Drunkenness, someone else said, is the absence of the mind. (laughs) That makes more sense to me. I think that's really true. Some of you have perhaps been there at some point in your history. Some of you have experienced the ramifications of it when someone else near you was drunken. This is what happens. Alcohol deeply influences your behavior and generally causes you to think and act in ways you would not if you weren't under its control. When you're drunk, you do things you would not do if you were sober. When you are drunk, you you refrain from things that you might otherwise know are wise and you would do them if you weren't drunk. Drunkenness is being controlled by something else outside of yourself. Maybe in your case, It shouldn't be drunkenness. Maybe alcohol shouldn't be the thing you insert there. Maybe for you it should be money. Or maybe for you it should be seeking after some relationship that you wish you had and you don't, and you're giving all of your attention and all of your desire to that. Maybe it's just success in general in something, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Don't let anything outside of Christ control you. Don't be drunk with wine, but rather be surrender to God's Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to talk briefly about what the filling of the Spirit is not. I want to try and keep it as kind of plain as I can, but I think, I think there's a little confusion about it. The filling of the Spirit is not the baptism of the Spirit. We hear a lot of these various things. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, if we do not have the Spirit of Christ, we do not belong to him. And elsewhere in the New Testament, the the baptism of the Spirit is described as that which places me into the body of Christ. So if you've not been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, you are not a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. Secondly, 
the, the, uh, the filling of the Spirit is not, let me get on the right page here, it is not inherently equated with some kind of ecstatic utterance or some miraculous behavior. It is not necessarily equated with speaking in tongues, for example. It's not uh, everyone, at no time in history did everyone who came into faith in Christ begin speaking in tongues, who, who was filled with the Spirit. Not everybody ever spoke with tongues. That's not how it has worked in history, and it isn't inherently now. There are a number of places in the book of Acts, which is very unique in the canon of Scripture, where that was true. And there was a certain evidence being given that this is the work of God here, so it's okay. But as the New Testament continued on, that happened less and less. There's less and less record of it. So baptism is what happens when you, are, when you become a child of God through faith in Christ. It is not the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 talks about the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and that's the guarantee of our future inheritance. At some point in history, we will either pass from this life and go on to heaven, or Jesus will come back. At either rate, our, our inheritance is secured by the Spirit of God. So the, the filling of the Spirit is not being sealed. It's not being baptized by the Spirit. It's not some kind of uh, miraculous expression. What is the filling of the Spirit then? It is, in the context of what we're reading here, it's the ability to walk in the will of God because you have surrendered yourself consciously, daily, to the power of the Holy Spirit. It permeates. When you fill something, it fills everything. It takes control of everything. So there is a sense in which every, every part of me, and yet also totality. It's everything about me is controlled. Have you ever been really just overcome with fear or completely overcome with sadness over an event? This is the same kind of picture. We become completely overcome. We become completely filled and influenced by the Holy Spirit. It's total control. It's called surrendering to him or or submitting to the Holy Spirit because this is a passive thing. Be filled. So we permit ourselves to be filled, to be uh, controlled, to be under his influence. So what would that mean in relation to the filling of the Spirit? The Spirit deeply influences your behavior and generally causes you to think and act in ways you would not if you were not under his control. That's why he's using this comparison, not because being drunk is the opposite of being filled in the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. It's not that those are the two things we should seek one and avoid the other. It's being controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit causes you to think and act in ways you would not if you were not under their control. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit you will be inclined to do things that left to your own devices you probably wouldn't really care that much about. So you would be inclined to talk to your friends, to your coworkers, to your family members about their relationship with Christ. You would be inclined, if you're being controlled by the Spirit, to be honest in your business dealings, perhaps. 
it's not that none of these things ever happen to a person who's not controlled by the Spirit, but they always happen to people who are. You would also likely be inhibited, if you're controlled by the Spirit, from doing things that you might otherwise do. The degree to which I am filled by the Spirit is the degree to which I will obey the Word of God. So that's the practice of walking in the Spirit, submission. Lastly, the result of walking in the Spirit is faithfulness. Sometimes I think we still live a little bit with the impression that if we walk in the Spirit, it'll be because we've been faithful to God, and the consequence of that will be he'll fill us with his Spirit. It is the opposite. We are filled with the Spirit, and then we are faithful. It affects our worship. Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Remember, he's writing to a church. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's not just only talking to individual Christians. He's talking to them in their relation to one another. Being filled with the Spirit affects my worship. It affects my passion for worship. Because when I come here, I'm not just standing in my spot, normally looking at the screen, singing words, but I am singing to and listening to my brothers and sisters in Christ as we sing to one another. We join our voices together to express what God has been doing in our lives all of this past week before we got here. Worship ends up being the culmination of what God's been doing in my life all week long. And we come together and we celebrate. It affects our passion. It certainly affects our focus of worship. We are to sing and make melody to the Lord we are to, to sing and make melody to God. If we're walking in the Spirit, our tendency is to focus on Christ. John 15, Jesus, when he was talking about sending the Spirit of God, that he was leaving and he would send the Spirit of God, he said, he is the one who will bear witness of me, Jesus said. When we're filled with the Spirit, we will tend more to focus on Christ. So our worship will become more Christ-centered and less me-centered. It'll become more attentive to the things of God and honoring God. So it affects my worship. It affects my attitude. I'm not going to re-preach the last sermon that I did. It uh, was on, in, among other things, being grateful, right? Rejoice, be grateful, pray. It was... Uh, that was last week, so look it up. Better yet, look up the one at Yorktown. You can watch Pastor Nate preach it, and it was probably better than mine anyway. So uh, either way, we talked about rejoicing and the importance of having a thankful spirit. It's part of what happens when I'm filled with the spirit. I have a change in my attitude. It makes me thankful at all times and in all things. Giving thanks always, verse 20 says, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it affects our relationships, verse 21. If I'm filled with the Spirit, my faithfulness will be demonstrated in my relationships. Verse 21 says, submitting 
to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mutual submission. For those of you who have missed our our spiritual formation class about marriage, which a lot of you have been coming. I'm super thrilled. We talked about that, the importance of humility in relation to each other and how there is a sense in which we submit ourselves to the other person by being obedient to God in the role that he has placed us in in our marriage. That's separate, and uh, you'll have to talk to somebody who went there. So, But mutual submission is in the context of the church, Philippians 2, verse 3, says that we ought to consider others as more important than ourselves. If we're filled with the Spirit, we will have a greater tendency to do that. We'll have a greater tendency to look at those who are around us, to look at those who are fellowshipping with us in the church, to look at those who we are married to, to look at those who we are related to by blood or by law. We will find a new desire and a new interest in humbling ourselves before each other, submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So our submission to one another, our care for each other, our humility in our willingness to place another person as as considering them to be more important than we are comes from our submission to Christ. It comes out of our reverence, out of our fear of Christ. It's a reverence that causes us to keep ourselves under his authority. Walking in the spirit is not intended to be mysterious. It is not intended to be some ethereal experience that only happens to the super spiritual. Walking in the spirit is the result of me submitting myself to the control, the filling of the Holy Spirit, so that in obedience it can affect my my worship and my relationships and so on. Those things happen as a result of it. I've only got two thoughts to take home on here, so let me read them to you. Your time is limited. Live like it. This is not an infomercial. Limited time, act now. This is just the reality of life. Our time is limited. Talk to somebody who has had a health scare that brought them to the brink of death, potentially, and ask them if that hasn't changed how they view life. Ask them if that hasn't made a difference for them to realize, man, I, at any given day, I could be done here. Here's the thing about our season of life is we don't know when it's done. We know when football season is over, right? It's very soon. And those who love football will cry. And those who are like, I cannot believe it's still going already, will be like, oh, good, finally. Now we can watch baseball incessantly or whatever. <laughs> it's, we know when the seasons end. We don't know when our season ends. God knows that which is why we need to walk carefully and purposefully and so on. We have to live our lives as though it isn't going to be long before we'll be in heaven. Let's take advantage of every opportunity. Time is limited. Live like it. And then secondly, be careful of what you surrender yourself to. What has your most significant attention? 
probably the, the way that that could be determined is when you're just sitting down and you finally have a few minutes to yourself in the evening or whenever it is that you get a break finally and you sit down, what does your mind instinctively turn to? Is it your investments, your money, your how much you have? Is it your toys that you own that you want to mess with? Is it, where does your mind instinctively turn? That'll probably give you an idea of what you're controlled by. It's a constant battle. I, I believe when it tells us in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, that's a submission thing, which means there will be times when we're not, and we have to do that again, and we're not, and we have to do that again. It's a daily experience. This is not a one-time event. This is something that happens all the time, and I'm constantly coming back and saying to the Lord, I need to be back under your control. I need to be back under your influence, and I need to be allowing you to propel me to do what I should and refrain from what I shouldn't. It's an ongoing practice and pattern. It's not a single event. So be careful of what you surrender yourself to. Because when we surrender ourselves to things, they will take over. They will guide our decisions. And listen, we can surrender ourselves to good things that aren't godly things inherently, right? We can give ourselves to a particular leisure activity that is not wrong at all. But it may not be the best thing for me. It may not be something that propels me toward godliness. It doesn't mean I can't ever do it again. It means I can't be controlled by it. What did Paul say to Timothy about people who were wealthy in this world? He didn't say, tell them to give it all away. He said, tell them, don't trust in it. Don't depend on their riches. It's okay to be wealthy. I'm happy for wealthy people. I used to work for a, for a building contractor. He'd say all the time, I'm really happy for rich people. I don't have work if they don't have a house for me to work on. So he was really happy for people who had a lot of money. People who have a lot of money can give generously to the work of God. God gives us finances to use for his glory. It's great if you have a lot of money, just don't depend on it. It's great if you have uh, the opportunity to have some really fun toys. It's great if you have a really wonderful relationship you're happy with. It's great. There are all sorts of things we can begin to get ourselves wrapped up in. It's great if you play music really well, but it can control you. And the Internet can control you even if you're not looking at things you shouldn't. A lot of things can control us, right? Be careful of what you surrender yourself to but rather on a daily basis, surrender yourself to the controlling power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The result will be faithfulness. I know it's, it's one of those things, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? It's not like it's hard to explain, but it is a little hard to employ. And so we're going to leave here today after we sing, and we're going to go about trying to employ the practice of being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit. It's essential. It is essential. It is part of the will of God for my life. All right, let me have a word of prayer. Our team's going to come back and we're going to sing. Father, it is, uh, this is kind of easy to explain. It's not it's not really hard. It's just hard to employ. It's hard to do these things. Lord, I get, I get so wrapped up in 
being controlled by things that maybe it's not even things I actually have, but things I wish I had. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to get wrapped up in, in activities or whatever it is. And so many of them, Lord, are not inherently bad. But, Father, I pray that you would remind us today, that you would uh, keep us well aware of the importance of being controlled by the Spirit of God. We want to walk in the Spirit so that we can discern your will, so that we can know from a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis, maybe sometimes, yeah, I should do this. This will honor God more than if I do that. And we don't, we don't stop to think that through every time, Father, but we want to be so in tune with you that as we make decisions, they are naturally propelled by the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Perhaps uh, propelling us to do things that we wouldn't normally do or keeping us from things that we might otherwise do. So I pray that you would challenge our hearts, remind us this week. Uh, we leave here now with a great desire to be under the control of the Spirit, but remind us of that Tuesday and again on Thursday when, when we've allowed that to slip and we're being controlled by other things. Help us, Father, to be controlled by the Spirit. Thank you for your great love for us in Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to be rightly related to you through him. I pray that as we sing and as we spend a little time enjoying some fellowship with one another before we head out the door, I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased and that your, your name would be lifted up in us this week.